Welcome to this bonus episode of From the Front Porch. Last week, I had the opportunity to sit down with debut author Alan Cheney. Alan is a native Thomasvillian and co-wrote, alongside New York Times bestselling novelist Julie Cantrell, a new nonfiction book called Crescendo. Crescendo is set in Thomasville almost entirely. It's about Fred Allen, who happens to be Alan Cheney's grandfather, and how he got the Thomasville Troop program started. So if you are not in Thomasville, we explain to you what the Troop program is and what Fred's work in Thomasville has meant not only for the Thomasville community, but for the graduates of that program. The book itself is, again, nonfiction, kind of about Fred's really um, miraculous rise from being this child prodigy, kind of this music prodigy, um, to moving to New York and then ultimately Thomasville to really develop an arts program here in Thomasville. So if you are a fan of Charles Martin, if you... Uh, like the television show Glee, then I think you will really enjoy this interview with Alan Cheney. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look at the writing process and about how finding an agent can sometimes work. Um, You'll also get a glimpse into the novel or the book itself. It's not a novel. It's nonfiction. Um, You'll get a glimpse at Crescendo, and um, hopefully it'll kind of whet your appetite and help you decide if the book is right for you. Copies are currently available online. And if you are listening to this on Tuesday, July 16th, the book releases today. Uh, and we are hosting a shelf talk and signing with Alan Cheney and Julie Cantrell at the bookshelf. So if you are local and listening, we would love to see you there. Um, otherwise, I hope you get um, this interesting kind of behind the scenes look at the life um of a book and an author and what, um, what the process kind of looks like. If you love, love this interview, then you might enjoy supporting us on Patreon where we post most of our author interviews, typically one or two every month. Um, but this one I wanted to share with everybody. So I hope you will enjoy. So that's kind of where we're talking. Very cool. Um, okay. Hey, congrats on being a published author. Well, thank you so much. Um, I am super curious because when I Google around for you and when I look at the bio on the book, um, I don't think books are your first medium. Absolutely not. Okay. So I want to know why books? Why did you decide to publish a book or write a book? Interesting story. So um, my day job mm-hmm. is film production. So okay. I've spent the last eight years, uh, I own a production company, I live in LA, I work in the visual media, yes, visual media. Yeah. So um, I, I just love telling good stories, mm-hmm. and I love telling inspirational stories, and all day long I'm reading scripts and chatting with, with other filmmakers about building out projects and ideas, and I've always just had this sort of deep-seated need to build out my own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, helping other people bring their projects to fruition, but I needed to build out my own. So. Okay. I spent the last couple of years really just searching for projects that meant something to me and different subjects, topics, whatever, reading different books that aren't already optioned. Yeah. Um, and so I just decided that I, 
I wanted to tell a story in his hometown. I love Southern stories, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm in love with my family. I always have been. We're mm-hmm. very tight-knit, and I've always known. It, it was actually kind of an epiphany mm-hmm. that one day I just woke up and realized that I was sitting on a great story, okay. and that was my grandparents. Uh-huh. Because, you know, for almost 50 years, they helped shape sort of the creative aspect of our community and what it's become. And I had some people who told me that in conversation to help it click. But once it did, I was like, I need to build this out. Mm-hmm. I want to do a movie on my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I kind of played with the idea and talked to some other filmmakers, I talked to one of my friends who is producing but also had just written a book. Mm-hmm. She got a publishing deal with Penguin. She was like off to the races. And we were just having coffee one day. And the more I talked, the more she said, Alan, for you to put this into a two-hour movie is the biggest injustice you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. She said, give this thing a life. Mm-hmm. Let it live and breathe in a, in a bigger, more imaginative space. And mm-hmm. she says, this should be a book. Mm-hmm. She goes, first, it should be a book and yeah. maybe a film later. Yeah. So I said, well, I don't know the first thing about any of that. Yeah. And so I, she helped connect me to um, a lit agent who has got a great track record. And she helped me, um, she helped me craft this into a pitch. This was about a year and a half ago, so right before Christmas. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that was fast. She, it was very fast. <laughs> and on concept alone, we built out the pitch. And she um, she sent it out to major publishers saying, you know what, you've, you're a first time, you've ever written a book, first time mm-hmm. author. And she goes, you're, you know, this is not about a subject that's well known. This mm-hmm. is not a famous person. She goes, so don't hold your breath. Mm-hmm. Two weeks before Christmas, we got an offer back. A formal offer from Penguin, HarperCollins, mm-hmm. and Simon & Schuster. Wow, that's amazing. And I, of course, didn't know the gravity of it because yeah. I don't understand the space. Right. And she said, Alan, this is this doesn't happen. Something right. about the story, she goes, you know, sometimes things just, lightning strikes at the right moment. Yeah. This is a, and this is a, based around the arts and music and education and mentoring of youth. And she goes, I think that you just may have hit a good nerve here mm-hmm. that uh, people want. Yeah. And so, after mulling over it for a few months and meeting with all the different publishers, we went with uh, we went with Harper Collins, yeah. one of their divisions. And to make a long story short, um, why a book? Because it just worked. Mm-hmm. It seemed to unfold um, in a way that I couldn't have planned if I tried. Mm-hmm. And I would never have started out thinking I should write a book. Yeah, it just happened. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head as a book lover myself like there are just so many things in a book that you can't fully cover in a film so I think your friend was right like eventually yeah it could come um, become a film but some of the probably larger story is best suited for a longer format you know because it's it's a story that I hope people read it and feel that it's a story that was meant to be lived in imagination and and, there's a world that you have to craft in your own mind there's so much beauty and so much you know, just sort of old world nostalgia, nostalgia to it, and yeah. you know, all the things, Americana. And so I just feel like to have cast a very specific vision and then fed it to people yeah. um, through a film or series or something like that, which I just think that would have been an injustice. Now, I didn't think of it at the time, but now that I've walked through it, yeah. uh, I feel like what a blessing to have been given this opportunity, yeah. especially having not been uh, very knowledgeable about the literature world. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I, well, I don't know fully, but at least from my perspective and when I'm interacting with other authors, I mean, it's a, it's an intense process. It's an intense process. Uh, so yeah. it's, I love hearing how different people have navigated it and um, things like that. So I'm curious, 
how is writing a book different from telling a story in film, um, at least from your perspective? Because now you've kind of done both, right? So oh, yeah. what are some of the differences? Oh my gosh. Um, oftentimes with the projects that I work on in film, mm -hmm. I'm handed a script mm -hmm. and I work with financiers and directors and agents to attach talent. So it's more systematic. I, uh, the story's often already there. Mm -hmm. Another creative has already crafted it mm -hmm. and they need help from a producer yeah. quote, to actually help produce that project to make it happen. The difference for me is that between that and writing is writing is just this, it's an evolving on, I don't know, it's, I, I'm not great with the comparison because I didn't have any, any real experience, you know, with ever building up a film project from start to finish. Yeah. Um, with being my creative. Yeah. Um, I would just say that writing seems to be so much more of you're in relationship with your book mm -hmm. you know as you build it out as you as you go through that process and it's a much more intimate process yeah. than filmmaking which is much it's larger level it takes yeah. so many people to get I was gonna say maybe a little bit more collaborative I think that's the best way to say it yeah it's more collaborative whereas yeah. I, I think that the word is intimate when it comes to, to, to books because yeah. Really, it's a writer, maybe a writer and a collaborator, and then if you're lucky, you get a publisher and he'll put it out there, yeah. and then that's it. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a more, yeah, it's a little bit sweeter experience, I think, doing a book than doing a film. Um, tell me a little bit, if you can, about how the co-writing process worked. I'm always curious oh how, yeah. um, I read a book recently, and I figured out that the pen name of the author was actually two authors, really? and I remember thinking, how did they do this? I just don't. Too funny. I never <laughs> even thought about it. <laughs> Your granddad probably wouldn't have liked that very much. Oh, he would. He's, he's pretty cool. He probably would have encouraged it, actually. He's probably, you know, go have fun with it. Um, well, okay, the biggest blessing of this process mm -hmm. for me was because I had other people sort of um, sort of seeding and then, and then, you know, watering this idea for me to help it grow. It was yeah. never my... I didn't craft this journey to set out on it. Mm -hmm. um, I am quick to... I always think I'm quick to say I don't know what I don't Mm-hmm. And so when people first, first presented this idea, I said, well, that, that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. I, I would love that. I, I love trying new stuff. Yeah. That's a huge thing for me. Yeah. I thrive when I'm doing something I've never done before. Mm -hmm. But I told everybody openly, my lit agent and everyone, I said, I don't know how to write. <laughs> I don't know how to write. Yeah. You know, I try to, I do like, I've always been a big fan of handwritten notes. Uh -huh. And most times when I do a, a meeting, a business meeting, or if I'm done with a project, I send notes to all the other producers, the actors. Yeah. I'll do meetings with financiers. I send handwritten notes, family. I, that's just something that I grew up with. But right. um, I don't know how to craft a story. Mm -hmm. um, so I was honest about that. And then uh, Harper, once we brought them on board, mm -hmm. they said, well, we would like for you to write this story. Mm -hmm. And when I was very honest, I said, I don't think that I'm the best person for this. I said, yeah. I can visualize this. It's yeah. in my head. Yeah. I said, but I need help. Yeah. They connected me with an incredible uh, New York Times bestselling writer. Mm -hmm. um, she's, she's written several novels. Mm -hmm. Julie Cantrell. Yeah. A southerner. Yeah. Um, from Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, and Julie was like a godsend to me. Yeah. And she came on board and she, uh, you know, we spoke on the phone and at, uh, for the first time after my publisher connected us. And within five minutes, I knew she was the person mm -hmm. that I wanted to, to go on this journey with. And what a blessing it was. Yeah. Because Julie is the collaborator of the book, but she's the, it's a co-authorship. Yeah. That's what it is, even though she's built a, um, 
you yeah. know, as a collaborator. It's just a, just a, um, yeah. I think that most of the book was crafted at my high level ideas and storylines and sure. narratives and the basis, but it's really Julie's words. Mm -hmm. She would take these long, rambling emails I would send her at 3 a.m. <laughs> Gosh only knows what I was trying to say to them. And then a few days later, she would send me back these gorgeous paragraphs. And it was like, that's what I wanted to say. You got in my great. mind, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. And so that's amazing. How was the process? It was beautiful because I was lucky to have Julie. Yeah. And I would say to anybody who's a first time writer who feels overwhelmed by the process, yeah. The greatest thing you can do is to find somebody who your soul connects with a little bit and you understand each other and to take the journey together because there are so many phenomenal writers out there. Yeah. Who really can help fly that fly yeah. that plane. Well, and it sounds like it was kind of a partnership meant to be. I love that she's from Oxford. And oh, so yeah. She probably got the small town. I'm a loud, proud ride. southerner, and I love my hometown. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I love the fact, I love how I grew up. And she is, we live in a little bit of a, you know, special world here yeah. in the South. That, you know, we're all proud of it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and she was a, a very loud, proud, you know, southern girl. Yeah. Was, yeah, so I think that that, I think we connected. Yeah. On, on, a, on we love the idea that this story could be read on a beach, on a plane, and, you know, sitting on a bench in New York in Central Park, yeah. you know, um, at a cool cafe in L.A., but ultimately we love the idea that the story could be read on the front porch somewhere in the South. Yeah. Um, because of that, uh -huh. I'm curious about what made you finally realize your granddad's story was kind of the story you were sitting on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, it's, it's incredible. So growing up, you know, I said I'm very tight, very close to my family. Yeah. I'm very tight knit. We've always been so fortunate to have this amazing dynamic, and I grew up with all my grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, all in town. All in town. Okay. Yeah, uh, I actually grew up with most of my great grandparents until okay. I was in high school. Um, I always knew that he was special to a lot of people. I knew that the music and drama troupe for 45 years had been the sort of powerhouse yeah. of a performance organization. Yeah. Tell listeners what troupe really the is. The music and drama troupe was started just by Fred and my grandfather um, and, and, and my grandmother Winnie in 1972 after they first came here. Okay. 71, 72. And uh, they came in fresh from New York and you got to read the story, to read the book <laughs> to understand the journey that got them here. But what started, he was this musical, this music genius who yeah. at the age of three could play Chopin and, and you know, and, and incredible pieces on the piano that he had never learned. It's one of those, I always jokingly say, Oprah kids, like yeah. Oprah prodigy kids. He was <laughs> yeah. one of those. Yeah. And so um, he was just this creative who had so much music and so much in it that he wanted to give to others. It's just who he is as a personality. Mm -hmm. And they moved here, and he really was kind of in a lost period in his life. And he became the music director at the Methodist Church, First United Methodist Church here. Okay. And uh, he was taking a youth, uh, <laughs> a youth choir in the basement of the church, just practicing for a Sunday service. And he just kind of took this old hymnal type music and just tossed it off the piano and started playing stuff they loved. Mm -hmm. Pop music, show tunes, just anything that would connect with 14-year-olds, yeah. you know? And then you fast forward a couple of years and you had this organization called the Thomasville Music and Drama Troupe that was one man at his piano. Mm -hmm. at no sheet music. I mean, his music mind, he's never used sheet music. That's but he can play anything. Just okay. music jukebox. You know, How annoying. Jukebox. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but he had this incredible spirit still does to a degree where he just connects with people mm -hmm. strong silent type not mm -hmm. boastful not a um not you know braggadocious he doesn't want to be the center of attention very humble 
but he draws you in. Uh-huh. And so somehow he connected with this group of kids that grew the next year and then tripled the next year and quadrupled the next year. And then for 45 years with him and his piano, and he had right around 200 high schoolers yeah. from every school. He had the quarterbacks from the football teams. Yeah. He had the basketball players, the cheerleaders. He jokes, he says, you know, the nerds, the rednecks, everybody <laughs> that you know, the, the, the country boys, all the country girls, people who would have said, I will never dance. Right. You can't make me sing on a stage. Who would ever do that? He had them up there swinging together and yeah. lifting each other up and doing ensembles and all that fun stuff. He created an organization that was very unique when it was started, and I think there's been, it's it's a show choir, but it was it was it was very original the way that he did it, especially mm-hmm. in his day. And um, yeah, so for 45 years, 200 kids ongoing every year. He had the music and drama troupe where he poured into these kids and gave them music from all over the world, and it was fun. And it wasn't like a choral group. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Um, it, it didn't feel like you were in school in a music class. Yeah. It was just this undescribable organization where kids of all different backgrounds were given music, and they used that music to sort of grow themselves. Yeah. Well, and I feel like at least, you know, I didn't grow up here, but I've been to a couple of troop shows, and then you, I mean, it plays a big role in the community. It does. And And it it feels like it gave those kids a community to some extent. It does. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, troop is still a great organization. It's changed very much. Yeah. Um, for 45 years, it was just Fred and 200 kids, and it's, it's changed now because yeah. he retired. I mean, he's now in his 80s, and yeah. he stepped down about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, and they have new directors uh, with new visions and new types of music sure. and new styles, and um, it's not exactly the same troupe yeah. that um, I was in or a lot of people remember. Yeah. Um, but it's still a wonderful organization, yeah. and I'm proud of the work that they're doing, and I'm yeah. proud of his legacy. Yeah. But it is. It's it's still very very cool. It's um. It's hard to describe. Back when it was in its heyday, I mean, you had people who would drive down from Atlanta and yeah. across state lines. I mean, people didn't miss troop. People yeah. did not miss troop shows. Yeah. You know, um, you had the governor sending down well letters of well wishes to Fred and Wendy personally. Wow. Saying, I know that you're a star in this state. Your organization is a star in this uh-huh. state. And, 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 you know, so you just, it was an incredible thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, br- and brought the, I would imagine, I like I kind of like the idea that it was kids from every school every kind of school, brought the, every the city together. I kind yeah. of like that too. And, and an organization that oftentimes would see um, just just musically inclined kids who yeah. just love to sing and, you know, more of a choral atmosphere. He, he said his favorite part about Troop and about these kids was that he was bringing in kids who can't carry a tune. Yeah. And he didn't care. Yeah. He was going to teach them music. Yeah. Eh? but also give them music yeah. to help them explore parts of themselves they didn't even know or wouldn't have had the opportunity to explore otherwise. That's a lovely thought. Yeah. Were you in Troop? Of course I was in Troop. How many years? I was in Troop for actually, um, let's see, four or five, six years because the year that I was in ninth, eighth grade, he start, the seventh grade, he started something called Junior Troop. Okay. Um, I think the Junior Troop had been there for a small period back in the 90s, but then they, they closed it out. They couldn't pack any more kids on stage. I mean, they <laughs> had waiting cool. lists. Yeah. They really did. Um, but I was in it for for those years, as were both of my brothers. I'm in the middle of three. Okay. And the amazing thing was, even though um, my mom's an only child okay. of my grandparents, and where she did troop and always helped with troop, uh-huh. there was never an expectation. You know, a lot of parents might not only encourage, but maybe even make their kids uh-huh. participate in something that's family um family founded or, right. no no if from day one it was it's your choice if you this want is what to. you want to do right 
And then within the organization, one of the most difficult things at the time, and as I look back, probably one of the greatest parts of it, there was zero favoritism. Mm -hmm. I, I love singing. I love getting out there. I certainly wasn't even one of the best by any means, but I mean, I tried out for so many ensembles and solos that even though he's my grandfather, I did not get. <laughs> and I mean, I, he wouldn't even ask me to come back to try him again. He would ask <laughs> other kids, friends of mine, who I would be so jealous. I would go home and I would say, not fair. I should be the one who at least gets it. I should, you know, he should figure out a way to put me. And then I would think about it and I would think that's one of the things I love about him was that he, yeah. you know, there were solos that he, I just wanted to you know, pull my hair out over that I wanted to sing so bad. Yeah. But he gave them better singer. And yeah. Not me because I'm his grandson. Yeah. Yeah. What a good quality. Yeah. Tough for you. Tough but. for me. But you know, <laughs> no, as I got older, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what should have happened. And that's yeah. what I'll do with my kids. Yeah. So in this process, did you, you know, tell your granddad that this was something you were working on? Did you interview him? Kind of, what was his role in this storytelling? Just one last time, going back to the fact that it was such a close knit family, I was fortunate to grow up hanging out with him in his garden, he's a big gardener, um, and just chatting, doing dinners at their house. And my grandparents took me to New York when I was a young, when I was very young. They wanted us to see the world, you know. So they, I've always had this amazing bond with them and I travel and I sit with them and we talk. So mm -hmm. growing up, I was very interested in my grandparents' life and I knew a lot about them and it kind of almost amazed me that I felt like I, I knew my grandparents so well. And a lot of my peers didn't necessarily know that much about their families mm -hmm. because in our family it's just we talk we talk about our pasts and histories and you know dreams and all this stuff so um i already knew a lot mm -hmm. and so when i kind of got the fire you know started under me to do this project i already knew oh my gosh i think i know it all i think i know the story i think i can build this out tomorrow right and then i said well i'll talk to a couple of former troop members and i'll call my granddad one afternoon and ask him some questions to fill in the gaps well, you fast forward two years, and I want to say about 120 or 130 former troop members. And then <laughs> after speaking to numerous of his students, he was a, he was the music teacher at Thomasville High for okay. years. Um, and then reaching out to former colleagues of his when he was a professional music producer in New York at RCA, colleagues, and, uh, you know, I sort of found myself, you know this, uh, when you see a movie, and they, uh, a mad scientist or detective or something has that wall with all the pictures and writings and the strings <laughs> connecting it all. Yeah. I found myself, my living room had turned into that. <laughs> and I realized, and this is such a beautiful thing to me, I never knew half of who my grandfather was. Even with all of those Even stories. Even with all that I thought yeah. that I knew. Yeah. And I loved, every day was a discovery and mm -hmm. it was finding out more and more about this person who has influenced me and mm -hmm. ultimately is, one, is the reason I'm here, right. you know? Um, it was this incredible process so I did I spent hours I spent days on end um, and ultimately almost two years researching along with Julie um, and my grandfather one of the interesting things about his story is when he was four years old uh, again just being a very unusually intelligent child mm -hmm. also a music prodigy he learned he taught himself to write when he was four and he, no big deal. <laughs> he, he would find pieces of scrap paper and he would start to journal daily because he didn't have a family life. He mm -hmm. didn't have a secure home. He didn't have, he didn't have friends. Mm -hmm. So he would write. And so he has journals. And when I say he has journals, I mean he has dozens and dozens of journals that date back into the 40s. Wow. And he has kept them. And he has written them almost daily. And the joke in our family is we all knew that he had journals. Mm -hmm. And he used to always tell us you can read them when I'm dead. <laughs> well, 
I was able to get into some of them, not all of them. And that's what built a lot of the story that we yeah. don't get. Yeah. Uh, you know, the story was built um, off of the journals along with all the research that we tried to craft craft this. It was a lot of research to answer your question. It's to round that off because I could go on for hours. It was a lot. Yeah. And it was amazing. And I never knew what I thought I knew. Yeah. I am worried a little bit that we our generation is not going to have that kind, those kinds of resources to yeah. back up our memories. Um, because I think about my grandmother and the letters that she kept and the, I don't know, like we don't do that anymore. We don't do that. Yeah. And he so was I like that you're still <laughs> handwriting notes. That seems like you're, oh, yeah. you're following in your granddad's footsteps a little bit. I love that too. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, it's, it was an, it was the greatest experience in my life. And yeah. I, I don't, say that uh, flippantly it truly yeah. was the greatest experience of my life I've done a lot of fun film projects and traveled to a lot of great places and met some really cool people over the last handful of years yeah and I thought I was you know but then when I sat down and started writing this out and building this out and talking to my grandfather about pain from his past mm-hmm. and life moments that made him who he was and ultimately influenced who my mother was which influenced who I am yeah and the things that made him who he was that influenced our community, mm-hmm. I realized this is what it's all about yeah. as a creative. And I hope that anybody who is a creative, I, I, I wish and pray for everybody to have this opportunity. Yeah. It doesn't have to be your grandfather. Right. Well, you, we're all sitting on a lot of stories, too. We're sitting too. on stories, yeah. and we don't know that someone just next door to us or down the street yeah. or someone. The story is everywhere. Yeah. And, it, it, it you know, it's funny as I am. Um, I was actually never a huge reader mm-hmm. before I started this process. Mm-hmm. Now I read like, you know, like a madman. I'm obsessed <laughs> with We've converted you. You've converted me. <laughs> I'm obsessed with biographies. I'm obsessed with learning about other people's lives. Mm-hmm. That and how-tos. I'll read how-to about anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been an incredible experience. I just um, went overseas for a trip, and one of the women I was traveling with she's a counselor and she just casually mentioned she counsels um people toward the end of their lives and she uh she said that you know a lot of them are coping um with what to do with all of their memories and their stories and she kind of just said in passing she said I I think everybody deserves a museum and I loved that um and it I think about my both of my granddad's self-published books. Um, one of them published self-published a memoir, and I was in college at the time, and we were living in the same city, and so I helped edit it. Mm-hmm. And like you, I feel very similar. I feel like I was pretty lucky yeah. to get to work on that project with him. Yeah. You just you realize things that made your parents who they are, and you who you are. And I exactly. think that's a really that's a that's a gift. It is, it is. and you know, one thing that was I think the most exciting of all was. As I spoke to people, I, I did these phone calls. Really, I started with a, with a, my master list of former students and mm-hmm. troop members and community members that I was going to speak to. I think it was about 12 people long. And I was convinced that within those 12 people, I could write the entire story. Right, tell this whole thing. So again, I said fast forward to over 100. <laughs> and I found myself on the phone with people who, after an hour or two of conversation, were in tears mm-hmm. saying, Alan, I cannot tell you how much of an influence your grandfather was. He didn't just teach me music, he taught me about life. Right. You know, he, when I was a shy, you know, kid, a teenager who really didn't feel like I was worthy of being listened to, mm-hmm. he gave me a song to go out there and sing. When I, you know, people quietly sat in the dark and listened to me sing it. When I thought that I was too shy to ever enter a room and feel confident, he goes, he saw something in me mm-hmm. and he put me on that stage under a spotlight and he 
coached me through those moments and made me realize I'm worthy of entering a room of any kind. That's a powerful be, lesson be, for a teenager. Be, it is. And so, and yeah, and I, that was the coolest experience was learning the true depth of the work that he's done. Yeah. And you know, he's not, <laughs> I mean, of course he's unique, but I know that ultimately, I mean, my grandparents, for all the wonderful work that they've done, they're not that unique because there's people all over the world, yeah. people all in our community in Thomasville, Georgia, yeah. who are changing lives every day in different ways. Yeah. And so I just feel lucky that I got to tell one of those stories yeah. that's so personal to me. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you said that you live in L.A., and I'm curious, you speak with such fondness of Thomasville. Um, do you miss Thomasville? What oh, do you think yes. is so special about your hometown? I mean, Thomasville is one of those places that you can't put into words. You'd have to bring somebody here and, yeah. you know, you have to bring somebody here and let them smell the bakery around the corner, <laughs> let them, you know, listen to some music in the trees yeah. with the speakers and just, you know, smell the heat coming off of the Brook Streets. <laughs> it's indescribable. Yeah. Um, we are... We are two generations in on my dad's side okay. in the Thomasville. Um, my dad started his company here in the mid-90s. Um, my grandfather, my dad's father, um, helped helped build our hospital into what it is today. Mm -hmm. He um, uh, He's a cardiologist who treated, it's so funny, I, every, most of the people when I was growing up, when they met me when I was very young, mm -hmm. um, Every, I couldn't shake someone's hand without someone telling me, oh, I was in troop, or oh, your grandfather's my doctor. Yeah. And so <laughs> I just felt other. very connected to the community. Our yeah. family did because it's, it's our town, and we yeah. took so much pride in it Yeah. because of those things. Yeah. So, I mean, from my dad to my brothers to all of my grandparents, um, we've been just so plugged in and connected to every facet of the community for, you know, just decades and decades. And so I just feel this pride here. Yeah. And so when I bring people here, bring friends, I bring it's bringing someone in to hunt or mm -hmm. if it's you know just passing through on the way to the beach with friends I used to live in Nashville we drive through at the second we would get close to the city limits I just started to feel this pride inside of me like wait till you get to see my little slice of heaven yeah you know yeah and and I just it was it was just this magical place and still is that you don't come across very often and so I, I do miss it yeah you know I are you the only one who's moved away <laughs> or did well you? no so my my younger brother Scott okay. works for a division of my dad's company in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. So both my brothers work for my dad's company, which, okay. is, which is great. Um, uh, but I just was not, that was not necessarily my my route. My, I'm far more right brain than I am left. Mm -hmm. um, but I, my brothers moved, but still, <laughs> that's not terribly far away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only one that packed up and moved to the other side of the country. Yeah. Yeah, but I do. I, I find myself often, um, I'll be traveling. I mean, I've been fortunate to film projects in India and in Canada and I filmed in the UK and I've been all over in Spain and all around the US and a few places I go I don't find myself just sometimes taking this deep breath and closing my eyes and picturing myself right back here where everything is almost as I like to say as it should be mm -hmm. in the world yeah that's how it is for me yeah I get that yeah um so I'm very curious, is there a film adaptation in the works on Crescendo? Well, I'm going to hold off on that for a little bit yeah. uh, because we do have some great stuff going on. But yeah. um, one thing I've learned about my industry, and it's taken some, uh, it's taken some stumbles yeah. to get here, is that um, nothing's done until it's done. You, don't, you say, no, there's no such thing as a physical movie until the cameras are rolling. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you can have a movie part up, and I've had a few, yeah. um, and it's a week away from filming, and then, you know, it just gets shelved. But... Yeah. This one, honestly, um, 
I've learned, I've, I've come to have such a great respect for books mm -hmm. and for this art form and this, you know, type of storytelling that right now I'm just living in the moment of the book, yeah. living its life. Yeah. We do That's have some amazing uh, partners um, who would love to help us turn this into a film. Mm -hmm. um, we have, we have the means to do it, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, one step but at a time. But for right now, I just, I, I couldn't feel more fulfilled than to walk into um, some stores. I mean, we're so fortunate. We're in Barnes & Noble, mm -hmm. Books A Million, Target, mm -hmm. Walmart, Amazon. Like, we're in yeah. booksellers all around the country. And um, I just to walk in and see my book sitting on a shelf is satisfying and fulfilling enough yeah. for now. And I'm anticipating that's going to last for a while. Yeah, that's a pretty cool feeling, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, it's, that's the coolest feeling in the world. You know, I jokingly tell people that uh, for a kid who can't even spell very well, <laughs> book, and I don't spell it very well, my mom can attest to the fact that I called her randomly throughout the day for one of the two following, you know, to find something in the grocery store. Right. Because I can't navigate a grocery store. Or how to spell something. So, now um, you've got a book on the shelf. You can I've take it to your former English teachers. And you know, it's funny. Um, uh, Miss Larson, if Ann Larson is listening, she was my English teacher at Brookwood. And, oh, lucky guy. Uh, and, no, yes, I, she she's was, wonderful. She's phenomenal. She's yeah. phenomenal. And uh, I, she, as, she can, as she can tell you, um, I, I struggle sometimes in English class, you know, just being very ADD and, and having trouble getting through a lot of reading and all that stuff. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I struggle getting through writing anything. Yeah. And so, um, I, uh, yeah, I hope that I can... I hope that I can make people like her proud <laughs> with the fact sure that I've actually will. gotten to a point where I can do something like this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'll, I'll keep going back to the fact that this book has happened because of Julie Cantrell. Yeah. You know, I like to think that I was more of the high-level creative and, and just sort of envisioning aspects of yeah, it. Yeah, the big picture. But Julie is the writer. Julie is the wordsmith yeah. that, you know, that made this book happen. Yeah. What a so, great partnership. Yeah. Okay, so I've got four questions that I always ask podcast ask guests. Ask away. Uh, the first one is, what's a classic book you've never read but you wish you had? A classic book that I've never read that I wish I had? Yeah. This is going to sound horrible. <laughs> no judgment here. This is a safe space. To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, you've never read it. No, and I think I'm probably one of the four people on earth. Um, you know what? My husband is still in the middle of reading it, and he's an attorney. So. Well, just to, just to, just to, just to give away a secret that I feel like I'm safe to give away now, <laughs> yes. it was required reading at some point when I was in high school, yeah. and somehow I passed a test on it having not read it. Well, so I don't know who that secret I don't know who's going <laughs> to... It's heartbreaking to nerds like me, but it's fine. Arson. There was some cool point in, high, in Brookwood that I was supposed to have read that book, and I passed a test having not read it. So, yeah. yeah. You know what? I totally think that one... I mean, people who listen to podcasts know this one of my favorite books of all time, yeah. but the one that came out, and I think the publication of it was sketchy, um, but Ghost at a Watchman, which was like the book that she originally wrote yeah. um, before To Kill a Mockingbird, kind of the, not even the prequel, kind of the first draft, mm -hmm. is actually, I have an unpopular opinion that that book is excellent, really? um, and kind of gives you a more rounded view of her small town southern life, and um, race in the south, it, so they're worth your time. So, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So make time for them one day. Oh, no, no. My, my, <laughs> the, I, I am actively encouraging recommendations now. I have a very long list. Well, we can Again, for two years ago when I really, you know, it would take a lot to make me pick up a book. So yeah. It's an extreme level of boredom. Yeah. Um, I, now I just am begging people for yeah. books. It's amazing how I've, how I've turned on this and fallen in love with it. 
well there you know I hope I think everybody has that like moment and for yeah. some of us it comes early it and for some folks it comes later and I don't really care when it happens as long as it happens that's right um, okay so this is for our stores podcast okay. do you listen to podcasts and if so what are your favorites okay I actually I did listen to some podcasts a few years back I've not much over the last few years mm-hmm. and I feel like I desperately need to catch up yeah also taking recommendations okay it's, uh, gosh, it's, the, it's one of those mediums that kind of blew up, I think. And there are so many that you can almost feel overwhelmed. I don't, even, rem- I don't even remember the titles, but the, some of the ones I was really loving about three or four years ago, when the, you know, when they really started to yeah. grow, were mostly mystery, yeah. crime mystery. I mean, I love that stuff. Yeah. You know? I'm listening to Man in the Window right now. Like, really? literally, I was listening to it today. Yeah. It's horrifying yeah. uh, and terrifying, but it's about the Golden State Killer, and it's excellent. See, I would love that. It's kind so of, good. Honestly, I, I just, it's a blessing. that I, I'm very busy. Uh, these yeah. days I'm never too busy to sit down and do something like that but yeah. um, I just I, I gosh I get I had such a I've been traveling so much over the last couple of years yeah. and working diligently on this and I just that's something that I need to settle back into I would imagine when you're creating something it could be difficult to also consume things if mm-hmm. that makes sense because you kind of want your brain to be clear of that maybe. absolutely yeah you know absolutely but I'm kind of I go back and forth bipolar aspect of that. <laughs> I, sometimes I do. I'm just craving consumption of yeah. for stories and, and writing styles and I'll do that for two weeks and then I'll go through a period where I almost become frustrated because I'll read something and I'll think, darn, that's good. Yeah. I'm not as good as that. And, yeah. I'll, have to, and I'll get like really kind of like, you know, disgruntled creative for a few days. Yeah. I can't read anything. I can't read it. I just got to focus on mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't. Because nothing will ever be as good as that. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> I'll never be that good. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, Okay, what is your favorite part about life in the South? My favorite part about life in the South? Yeah. Mine is my family. Mm-hmm. I just, to me, the South is, is it means family. And yeah. what, when I say family, it extends beyond blood family. Mm-hmm. I think that we have this mentality in the South where we look at our neighbors and you know, other people around us and we're family. Mm-hmm. You feel this this amazing connection to fellow yeah. <laughs> Southerners. Yeah. Even in Los Angeles, it's funny. Most of my friends, and I've got a great group of friends, a big group of friends. Almost all of them are from the Southeast. <laughs> you found each other. Oh yeah, I've got like four friends, four or five friends from Atlanta. Some from some from Nashville, Oxford, Greenville. I mean, they're just you know yeah. yeah. It's, and we found each other, and the most. I mean, some of them time. Sometimes it's like game days in certain parts. <laughs> you find a fellow Southerner, you know. But like, um, but. Uh, yeah, I just think that this, when I think of the South, when I think of being home, and when I am in the South, you just feel at peace with people. And I yeah. feel like a lot of other parts of the world, the world is full of beautiful places that are diverse and amazing people, of course. But um, I just, I don't know, I, when I'm in the South, I just feel this relaxed feeling like I can, it's just a comfort around other people. Yeah, I get that. Like you are when you're with your family. Yeah. yeah. Um, somebody on the podcast, I forget who it was, but when I asked that question, they said something similar, which is that the South is one big small town. Love that. And yeah. so That's when you go other true. places, yeah. you yeah. still are able to kind of connect or like yeah. your mom knows some, I mean, I was in New York and like somebody was like, came up to me and recognized me and I was like, from where? And they're like, oh, we know your mom. And I was like, yeah. of course. And it's like, <laughs> I'll tell you something that's fascinating to me is that Thomasville is the town that gets around. Yeah, I will true. Be, I've been, no, I was sitting at a cafe in London about uh, two, maybe two months ago. Uh-huh. Um, and I was just talking to somebody who was sitting with me. And um, this 
guy uh, with an English accent turns around and goes, you know, you're from the South, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, what, what part? And I was like, Georgia. He's like, oh, I love Georgia. And he's like, you know, where from? I was like, you hadn't heard of it. He's like, try me. And I said, Thomasville, Georgia. And he's like, yeah, my, my aunt lives in Thomasville, Georgia. <laughs> and that's, it's similar things have happened in L.A. and New yeah. York and all over the place. It's I nuts, mean, but that's yeah, true. I it's that's, crazy. That's and I'm just like, well, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, are, we are beautifully connected in the strangest little ways. It, yeah. It's, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Um, okay, so you said you kind of are back on the reading train. Yeah. So I'm curious, what book or books are you reading right now? Um, well, just because, you know, I can't be the only one not. I, I, I just picked up uh, with Crawdad Sings. Yes. Because, <laughs> um, you know, Delia, I'm so happy for Delia that she's had this amazing yeah. success. We cannot. I mean, it's amazing. It's phenomenal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It really is. People don't believe when we tell people probably the first 100 or 150 copies of that book we sold it was because people knew her yeah. and knew she was from here yeah um but we've now sold over 400 copies of that book which for our tiny store in our small town is nuts yeah. and now we tell people when they check out like oh did you know Delia's was born and raised in Thomasville and people have no idea and it's so fun yeah. to get to get to share that you know one of the funny things so uh, <laughs> the way oftentimes a filmmaker knows when it's time to, to do a film this has been going on a lot lately. Uh, some of my fellow, some of my friends, one of my friends um, is the film director, Tate Taylor. Okay. And he did The Help. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. and Girl on the Train, Get On Up. So I was talking to Tate, uh, you know, about, I guess, six months ago, and I said, how did you know when, how, like, what had The Help? How did The Help yeah. come about? And he was friends with Catherine, okay. the writer of The yeah. Help, um, since, he was, since he was young. Okay. And so he cheered on her success and was happy for her, proud of her. And, uh, and he's, I think he said that when... Um, is either him or somebody with him said that when they were at the beach um, uh, and they looked around and there were about five or six people sitting around them reading the book, that's when they knew it was time to make the movie. Yeah. So, oh, that's uh, a, and that's I, I so know fun. that I'm thrilled that Delia has, has got this amazing success going on with Reese yeah. and her team, Reese yeah. Witherspoon. Yeah. And uh, I just, one of my friends was recently um, at the beach. I think yeah. they were down on like Rosemary Beach or something yeah. like that. And they said it's perfect timing because I looked around and I counted six people where reading where the crowd is as nuts. they walked along the beach. Yeah. And I've heard other filmmakers say the same thing. They're yeah. like, once you can't not see it, it's time to you know yeah. to move it on to the next yeah, Or in next airports, phase. I feel like airports, I saw it yeah. um, when I was traveling. I saw it in everybody's hands. I had two people. Two people were reading it uh, when I was on my way to New York a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. So just cool. too, yeah. Yeah. It's I love that. Oh, I love life. that. And then you feel this wonderful pride saying, you know, that's that's yeah. someone from my home. It's a little piece of home. A little piece of home. Yeah. You know, I I who knows, you know, this story is certainly not <laughs> it's not where the cross is. <laughs> it's a different a very different kind of story. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, it's a memoir, although we wrote it like a novel yeah. intentionally. Yeah. Because we want it we love I love the way novels read. I just love a good story. Yeah. I love a narrative. Um so we wrote it, but, but you know, hopefully it does well and people connect with it. But you know, maybe maybe I'll be fortunate one day to just be in a random place and to see somebody reading it. Yeah. And that's that doesn't have to be people all up and down a beach. Just, just one <laughs> just person. Just one person somewhere. I think that every author hopes that happens. Absolutely. I think that you want you know. You want it to be in people's hands. You want you want to just have that moment where yeah. you just pass somebody on a street corner or in a restaurant or whatever yeah. coffee shop with your story in their hands. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we're so fortunate to have a great team, a great publisher who's really helping. I mean, we're excited about the launch because they're pushing us far and wide. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, we're excited yeah. for you. Well, Congrats. thank you. That means a lot. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This. This is cool. Good. All right.
the bottom of the barrel again Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin Oh, we've cast our lots with all the devils of sin Oh my God, oh my God